want to invite you to open up God's Word with me. I'm going to read from um, Psalm 29. So if you're looking for that in your hymnal, uh, hymnals, Bibles, it is page 541, if you have the same Bible as I do. Ascribe to the Lord, Almighty Ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. All in his temple cry, glory. The Lord sits over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we praise you again for just a wonderful time to sit here in the presence of fellow Christians and to to watch and, and listen your promises made in baptism and then to be able to open your scriptures together and hear these words of truth and life. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that these words might not go in one ear and out the other, but that these words would sink deep into our hearts and cause us to, um, our lives to erupt with joy and thanks and praise and sacrifice and submission to you and your ways. So Lord, we pray by your spirit, work this out in our lives as we meditate on your word in Christ. Amen. So, people of God, um, quick question. What is it that leaves you feeling humbled? I mean, what is it that makes you feel small and downright low? For me, I'd say one of the things that does it best is probably nature. 
it's, um, I don't know, roaring waterfalls. You stand beside them, you, you feel the thunder in your chest, the volume of water just pouring over something like Niagara makes you feel small. Or it's um, just a vast ocean. Have you ever gone snorkeling or something like that? You see this ocean and it's teeming with life of all shapes and colors and sizes. Or it's majestic mountains. Have you ever sat at the foot of them and look way up or been to the top, look way down, and you feel small? Now, we don't have too many of those things in our backyard. So, one of the things that does it for me. Um, every once in a while, it's one of these storms that just rolls through our backyards, just tears through our neighborhoods. And, you know, the best thing we can often do is just kind of hunker down, maybe even head into the basement and hope and pray that this thing passes quickly and without incident. Remember one of the, the scary moments in my childhood, I didn't tell you guys I didn't talk about this, but one of the scary moments was uh, we went camping. And... Uh, this storm rolled through our campground. And we actually you know, had to go, go to our van and go into the, a parking lot where there, there was no trees because these trees, these massive trees overhead were just creaking and groaning and bending like little saplings. Uh, we had to abandon our campsite because in a moment like that, apparently being in a tent and a tent trail isn't the smartest place to be. You know, it's, it's in moments like that when you realize that no matter how far we've come, technologically speaking, that we can't tame nature. And in the face of its raw power, actually, we are all still pretty small and helpless. Well, when it comes to Psalm 29, that's exactly the kind of images that this writer is putting before us. There's flashes of lightning streaking across the sky. There's thunder across the water. There's winds that just whip across the desert and even strip whole forests bare. This whole creation is just whipped into a frenzy. And why? It happens because, he says, God speaks. All God needs to do is just raise his voice and everything falls apart. Because that's who God is. He's a God who's got power beyond your wildest dreams. He's a God who created everything by his voice and he can destroy it all in the same way. And not only is he powerful, the psalmist says, he's also glorious. He's so glorious that his glory just radiates from out him and fills the entire universe so that every moment of every day this creation is just shouting glory. That's who God is. And that's what the writer is trying to show us by rhyming off line after line of some of the most awe-inspiring poetry. And it just keeps on coming at us wave after wave. And why does he do this? It's really, really simple. It's because, quite frankly, we all just so often forget. I mean, all too often, we lose sight of who God is and what God's like. And we tend to treat God like he is safe and domesticated. And, you know, he kind of means well, God. 
So you don't really need to worry about him all that much. And so a lot of people don't. A recent nationwide survey showed that while two-thirds of Canadians still believe in God, two-thirds, the majority of Canadians don't consider religion to be all that important to them. In fact, the number of Canadians who attend a worship service regularly, and by regularly, I mean once a month. To me, that's not regularly, but that's what they said. But the number of Canadians who do that is just 25%. So yet two-thirds of people believe in God, but only a quarter of them could be bothered to go to a worship service. Which in most cases, I would think, simply betrays their attitude towards God. It's casual. We can take as much of God or as little as we want, and usually it's little. Because God, well, there's no big deal with him. No need to get worked up about him. No need to worry about going to worship services and reading the Bible and praying and following his commands. I I don't need to worry about what God says about how I should live. I'll just do things the way I want to do them. Because God's not bothered by that, apparently. I mean, that's also why most people, if they believe in God and heaven, they're pretty convinced they're going to go there when they die. Even though a number of them just haven't paid any attention to God whatsoever throughout their lives. They're going to heaven. And why wouldn't they? Because that's who God is. He's just loving and he's just accepting. He's like a big old grandpa in the sky. And that's the attitude that we all slip into if we're not careful. Even people who call themselves committed Christians just fall into that same line of thinking where we don't take God very seriously and he can occupy just a small little sliver of our lives. In short, we just kind of take God for granted. Treat him like he is safe and tame. When in reality, God is anything but. And that's what this psalmist wants us to remember. That God is not safe. God is not to be taken lightly. His voice thunders across the water. It strikes with flashes of lightning. He's not tame. He's dangerous, even. His glory is overwhelming. That's what the Israelites had seen on a number of occasions. Remember the story of Mount Sinai? So the Israelites, they came from Egypt, out of slavery. They go through the Red Sea, through the desert, and then they get to Mount Sinai. They make camp there. And while they're camped out there, God comes to meet them. And all of a sudden, underneath their feet, the earth starts shaking. And thunder and lightning fill the air, and there's fire and smoke up on the mountain. And the people, when they see this, they are scared half to death. They say, Moses, you can't make us go up there. If we go up there, we're goners. And that attitude, that sentiment towards God, that lives on throughout the Old Testament whenever the people encounter God. And they see him for who he really is. 
see that he's holy and glorious and fierce and dangerous. Now when it comes to the New Testament, guess what? That's some of the same things happening. Right away, beginning in the New Testament, we meet John the Baptist, all four Gospels, there he is. And he's telling people, the axe is at the root of the tree. He's saying, look, watch out. God's coming. You need to change. You need to turn your life around so that you can have a right relationship with God now. And as he's saying this, he's tapping into that old anxiety that people felt when they were faced with the overwhelming presence of God. And you know what happens? All sorts of people start flocking out to see John. And they're baptized by him. And it's amazing revival out there in the wilderness. But in the midst of all that, there comes one person who is decidedly different. Because here comes Jesus. And he's coming to be baptized. And John, somehow, he recognizes right away who this is, and right away he starts protesting. No, 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 no. You know, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. See, to John, this makes no sense. Because here's the thing. Up until now, John's baptism had been all about repentance. This was a way for the people to say, God, I am sorry. I'm so sorry for not treating you like I should. Please forgive me. <laughs> And wash me clean for my sins. That's what they were saying when they went out to go get baptized. And that's why this is so troubling for John. It's because John knows that Jesus doesn't need to say that. Jesus doesn't have sin. So why should Jesus be baptized? This makes no sense. And yet John says to him, or Jesus says to him, let it be, let it happen. And you know why Jesus says that to him? It's because Jesus had come to transform baptism. Now, it doesn't say that in the text explicitly, but that's, that's what's happening. See, what Jesus is doing here is, here is he's coming to identify with the people. Uh, that's why he came, to become like us. And what are the people doing? Well, they're, they're going to be baptized. So Jesus is baptized too. Even though he's without sin, he's baptized as a way of joining in their, in their wretchedness. Also that he could set us free through his righteousness. And then as a result of that, bring us back to the Father again and restore right relationship between him and us. So that now we don't need to be scared of the Father. So that now we can come to the Father without fear. Come to his presence. Jesus came to transform baptism. So that it's about forgiveness, yes, but it's about more. And that becomes so overwhelmingly obvious when Jesus steps up out of the water. Because then it's altogether different. All of a sudden, the heavens, they're torn open, and the voice of God thunders above the water. I mean, it is Psalm 29 all over again. And no doubt when you 
you hear the voice of God, you cringe, right? Look out, here comes God. But here with Jesus, it's not this voice of destruction. It's a powerful voice. But it's a powerful voice of acceptance and delight. See, God announces before everyone, before heaven and earth, says, here is my son, my beloved son, and I am so pleased with him. see how that changes baptism? Because suddenly baptism isn't just about confession anymore. Suddenly it's not just about what you say to God. Suddenly it's about what God says to you. See, here's Jesus. What he's saying is, look, I have become like you so that you can become like me. So that through faith you can be united with me and know that in the waters of your baptism that this is what God says to you. God says to you in baptism, here's my son. Here's my daughter whom I love. With you I am so pleased. See, that's why Christ was baptized. It wasn't just for his sake, it was for yours. So that you can know where you stand with God. And you can know that while God is so terrifyingly powerful, that because of Christ, you are now loved and accepted by the Father. And not begrudgingly so, like God's not saying, oh man, I guess I'll take him if I have to. Because of your baptism, you can know that God even takes great delight in you. And not because you are all so good and you have it all together, but because Jesus is and Jesus does. And that's what was going on this morning. You know, maybe it didn't sound that way to you, but this morning, God was thundering over the waters. God was saying, Mine. This is my son. He belongs to me, to my covenant family. Which is amazing, isn't it? To know that God was saying that this morning. You know what else is amazing? I mean, this is an amazing thing to be able to teach your children. You know, to be able to look at your kids along the, the way in their life, to be able to say to them, God loves you. God is crazy about you. Out of all the people on the face of this earth, God chose you to be one of his children. I mean, that's an incredible thing to say to your kids. And it's precisely the very thing that we're supposed to do. In fact, Dave and Becca, that is what you promised to do. To raise Isaac in such a way that reflects everything you heard this morning. That first and foremost, he belongs to God. Because Isaac, he doesn't just belong to you. He doesn't just belong to our family. He doesn't even just belong to this church family or to a school community as he grows up or to a hockey team or whatever. Isaac is going to have all these different competing loyalties in life. 
and they're going to try and take over. But first and foremost, he belongs to God. Period. And your job, Dave and Becca, is to show Isaac that and to raise him to live like that. But then, as I was saying, it's not just your job. And the rest of us have promised to do the very same thing, haven't we? I mean, it's a huge calling to raise your kids like this, but it's a huge calling on a whole church community to do that too. And uh, all of you, unless you kept your mouth shut, I guess, but all of you have said that you're going to love Isaac and you're going to pray for him. And not only that, but you're going to instruct him in the faith and you're going to encourage him and sustain him here in the fellowship of believers. You have promised, in short, that you're going to show him that he belongs to God and show him how to live like that. That's what we've promised this morning. And I would love to think that we are people of our word. So we're going to take that vow seriously. Because sometimes, you know what, I think we take these vows way too casually. We make them really flippantly. But it's a big deal what we're promising to do here. And we haven't even just done it for Isaac. But every time a kid comes up here to be baptized, all of us say the same thing. It's a big deal. And too often, you know, I think we just fail to keep our promise. And we don't fail to keep our promises because we can't. We just don't. And for the kids here, I think a lot of them left. But maybe you can say this at home. But for the kids here, I think we grown-ups need to make an apology. For all the times that we haven't done our best to show them that they belong to God, first and foremost, and to show them how, they live, how to live like that. You know, I'm so convinced that one of the big things our kids need to hear from us is sorry. They need parents who are willing to confess before them and ask for forgiveness. Kids need to hear that while God is powerful and big and holy and not to be taken lightly, that they have been baptized. And God has said to them, you're mine. You belong to me. And that's the very same thing God has said to every one of us who's been baptized too. He's saying, look, you're mine. Come and live like my children. Come and be set apart from me. Believe in Jesus and follow him. God is saying, look, you belong to me. God was thundering over the waters this morning. God was thundering over the waters at your baptism. So people, don't harden your heart. Open your ears. Listen to God calling your name. And believe. And live for him. Pray with me, please.
Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are a big God. Even though sometimes we try to make you tiny and small. God, we praise you for the way your voice thunders. It thunders over the water of baptism. And it calls us. It says to us, you are mine. And God, we pray that you would open our hearts by your spirit and open our ears so that we would not just hear that voice, hear your voice, but we would let it sink down. That it would separate us from sin. That it would have us living in response, seeking to be holy. And God, our prayer as a family and a church family is that we would teach our children what that means too. We would teach them that first and foremost, they belong to you. So God, our prayer is that for babies like Isaac, for um, kids that are going to school, for high school kids and young adults even, all these kids we have brought here to the waters of baptism, that you would work in their hearts and lives. And that you would use us to continue to show them that they belong to you. Lord, we pray this in your most powerful name. Amen.